Well, good morning. Good to see you all here. You'll forgive me, I, I have to drink water every once in a while. And back in November, I had a heart attack and my doctor says I'm dehydrated, so I have to drink lots of water. So the last time I had my appointment with him, he says, how much water are you drinking? And I said, every morning I drink one gallon of water in my coffee. <laughs> he didn't like that one, so uh, if I have to sip over here, uh, please forgive me. But it is a pleasure, and when uh, Dr. Bloom invited me, I couldn't help but think of one of my favorite stories about Charles Spurgeon. You know who Charles Spurgeon was? In London, England, he pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And uh, his grandfather was also a pastor up in, the, up in the country. And one time he invited his grandson to come to preach. And uh, they started the service, and Charles wasn't there. They sang the hymn, they took up the offering, they sang another hymn. Charles Spurgeon wasn't anywhere to be found. And so Grandpa Spurgeon began the sermon, and just as he began the sermon, the door opened, and guess who walked in? It was Charles Spurgeon. And so Grandpa invited him to come up, told him where the sermon started, and he had to finish it. But here's what he said. He said, my grandson can preach the gospel better than me, but he can't preach a better gospel. He can't preach the gospel any better, you see. And so here's the thing. Uh, Dr. Bloom can preach the gospel a lot better than me, and I'm going to let him do that. But I'm going to preach the gospel. And it's not how you preach the gospel. It's how the Holy Spirit impacts your heart. And that's what we want to today. And so uh, uh, turn with me to Psalm 27. When I was a young person in high school, I never wanted to be a pastor or preacher. I wanted to be a writer. And my, my person that I liked the most was Ernest Hemingway. I liked his writing. I just didn't like his lifestyle, if you can understand that. But that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a, a preacher or anything like that. Does anybody know who Mel Tillis is? I think he's still alive. But I had the Mel Tillis thing. I, I stuttered and so forth. In fact, in high school one year, I had laryngitis for a week, and nobody knew I had laryngitis. <laughs> That's how terrible it was for me. And so I just wrestled with that, and we had mission conferences and evangelistic weeks and so forth, and uh, it just got the best of me that God wanted me to become a pastor. And I did not know what to do. I had no help. I was the first one in my side of the family that graduated from high school, and my grandfather asked me, he said, son, what are you going to do with all that education? <laughs> because they didn't have that when he was a young person. And so I needed to go into some Bible school. I didn't know where to go. Nobody would help me. Nobody encouraged me. We didn't have uh, the Internet back then. And so I couldn't uh, Google anything, you know, and so I didn't know where to go. Didn't know what to do. And so, but one day, one month, I used to get the Christianity Today magazine. And one month out of the year, they would devote that one month to Bible schools and colleges. And so I got that and I looked at it and I picked out 12 Bible schools. I didn't know very much about them, you know. It was, <laughs> I was doing a dangerous thing, but I didn't know what else to do. And I sent letters to each one of them 
And here's what I said to the father. I said, Father, the one who calls me back, I'm going to accept that as the college that you have for me. Now, that isn't a very <laughs> smart thing to do, particularly today. But in about a month, three, four weeks, this college's Bible school from West New York, Elohim Bible Institute, I don't know if you ever heard of that or not, it's an independent Baptist Bible Institute. It's no longer in existence today. And so they called me, and I was so happy, and I set up an agreement and so forth to go up there and, and, and get started and so forth. I, I hung up the phone. I was so excited. And, and I, I thought, uh, you know, God's really going to call me to be a pastor. But that night, as I was laying in my bed, I got to thinking, a pastor needs a wife. And when it came to dating, I was completely over my pay scale. I thought a date was just a little fruit that you ate. You know, that, that's all I thought about it. And so I didn't know what to do. And so finally, I said, Father, I'll tell you what. Uh, the first young lady that I meet on campus, may that be your wife for me, my wife that you have picked for me. I know that's a dangerous thing to pray. And a lot of prayers are dangerous, but I, I put it out there. I had no other choice. And so we finally, my parents took me up. We drove into the uh, uh, boys' men's dormitory. And as we were pulling in, some young lady came out, and she had her hair up in tin cans. Did, do you remember the, the time that ladies, this was 1970, in tin cans. And I saw her come out, and I said, Heavenly Father, that doesn't count because my foot hasn't touched the ground yet, and I'm, I'm not going to take that. And uh, I don't know if God was chuckling, but I heard a lot of angels chuckling. I'm, I'm sure of that, and I, I tried to avoid her all, all the time. And uh, then one of my roommates named Amos, he said, you know, my girlfriend and I are going to go out for dinner tonight. Would you like to come with us? I said, sure, why not? He said, if you don't mind, my sister, who is the friend of my girlfriend, would like to come along. Eh, who am I to care, you know? And so we went to pick them up, and as we got there, I saw there was his sister, or, or I mean his, uh, his girlfriend, and next to her was his sister. Can you guess who that sister was? I said, wait a minute, there, there's a conspiracy here or something. You know, and so uh, I opened up the door and I let her in, and I didn't know what I was doing. All the way to the, to the restaurant, I sat on my hands. I didn't know what to do. I've never been in such a state before. And so we got there, and because I'm a Pennsylvania Dutchman, it was a Dutch treat, and I, I paid for mine, but I didn't pay for hers. I didn't know that I was supposed to pay for hers. I didn't think it was a date. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And then, uh, I think it was in January that uh, a bunch of us from the school went to a church and had, uh, they did singing and, the, and one of the guys preached and so forth and so on. And as we were coming back, we, we sat in the back, this, this girl sat in the back with me, and she said something that uh, I didn't understand. She said, wouldn't it be cool to get married? Now at that time, I did not know that women never ask questions. <laughs> and I said, yeah, sure, that'd be cool. I didn't know what I was saying because I, I, I didn't know what I was saying. 
And so the next day as I was walking down the hall, uh, everybody saw me, hey, congratulations, hey, congratulations. And I thought, oh my goodness, I must have got an A on my last test, wow. And finally I got to think, why would somebody, all these people congratulate me for getting an A on a test? And so the next person that came up and, and congratulated me, I said, what are, you, what are you congratulating me for? Oh, you know, he said, you're getting married and just congratulations on that. Well, that was the first time I heard that I was getting married, you know. And uh, so it, uh, it turned out, and uh, uh, that was in January. and February the 14th, we got engaged, and then on August the 14th, uh, we got married. But back in those days, uh, the, the groom had to go and ask permission from the bride's father. You remember that? They don't do that today. And so I went to him, and I said, sir, could I have the privilege of your daughter's hand in marriage? He looked at me and said, no, sir. And I thought, oh my goodness, am I in trouble now? What, what do I do next? What do I do next? And then he said something like this, if you won't take the whole girl, you can't take a little bit of the girl. I didn't know he was joking, you know. I'm, I'm glad he was joking because I was way out of my term. And we got married and uh, this coming August will be the 51st wedding anniversary. And uh, we've been married for, well, then 51 years. And I know my wife married me for my money, but she hasn't found it yet. And so I'm going to give her another 50 years to find that money because I, I could use that. And so, and then of course in January of this past year was the 48th anniversary of our ministry uh, as, as a pastor. And so God has, has really opened up doors. And uh, you're at Psalm 27, I think. Let me read a few verses here. Let me start with verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou sayest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And here's the verse we want to focus on tonight. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Before I pray, I want to ask one question. What has it cost you personally to wait upon the Lord? Let's pray. Father, bless this truth to our hearts. And may we go out of this service tonight changed by the power of the Holy Spirit over the Word of God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe, and you probably will agree with me, that our culture is caught up in the now syndrome. we got to have it right now. Back in the 60s, I think it was McDonald's who had an advertisement that says, You deserve a break today. And so that started the deserve generation. Now there's an advertisement, I can't think of who it's from, but it says that it's your money, use it now. And now we have the now generation. I want it now. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. 
And so Christians today are being caught up with the culture around us. And we're not reflecting biblical values, we are reflecting cultural values. I don't know if you know this or not, but this week celebrates the 45th anniversary of Elvis Presley's death. Now, do you know why Elvis Presley is significant? He is significant because he combined gospel music and rock and roll. And he brought it all together. And, and uh, I, I know who's behind all of that. I think you do too. And so now rock and roll and gospel, uh, you know, doesn't mean anything. And you know, you can go into some churches, thankfully not here, and Sunday morning, you don't know if you're at a church service or if you're at a, at a bar Saturday night chinking around. We have caught up with the culture. Charles Spurgeon, as I mentioned before, was caught up in, in what, what he called the downgrade controversy. And the downgrade controversy, just to simplify it, I won't go into it, but the downgrade controversy was that the churches at that time decided that they were going to downgrade the message so that the culture could understand it and receive it. And boy, was Charles Spurgeon against that. And, and, and he fought that until the day that he died. Well, we're in that problem today. We're trying to win over the culture by selling out the church. And why, how can we do that with a good conscience? We, we need to go back to the word of God. I don't know if you ever heard of the man Tony Fontaine. Uh, did uh, some of you have? He died in 1974. Tony Fontaine was a great singer. He had records and albums. He sang with, uh, uh, let's see, the Rat Pack, uh, Frank Sinatra, and some of those. And he went around the world with concerts. And he was a big, big guy. He was an atheist, big guy singing the, the, the world's song. One day he was involved in an accident that put him in a temporary coma. They didn't think he would live, but he lived. And this, is what he, this was his prayer. We always make strange prayers, don't we? You get me out of this, O oh God, and I will never sing a worldly song. These lips of mine, O oh God, will be con committed to singing the gospel. And when he got out and recovered and so forth, he had million-dollar record deals and, and so forth. And, and uh, you and I, maybe we would have said, okay, God, I'll, I'll go through these deals and I'll, I'll make sure that I tie the royalties that I get. But Tony Fontaine said, no, I will never seem, sing another song except for the praise and glory of God. And they sued him for everything he had. And so he started going around into churches and singing and so forth and so on. And God began to build him up in his ministry. But till the day he died, he never went back on his word. It cost him something to really be a Christian, you see. Now my theme tonight, waiting on God will always bring us what God wants us to have. If I wait on God, he will bring it to me I don't know what God is going to bring to me, but if I wait on him, he will bring it to me. And many Christians, I, I shouldn't say this, but I will. Many Christians, when they go to heaven, will enter with empty hands. Oh, they're saved, okay, but they're not allowing God to work through them and bless them in the work that's heavy. Now, when I talk about waiting on God, there's several things that, that I want to get to. 
Oh, I have till midnight, so I, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, so number one, the first thing, look at that, wait on God. The first thing is anticipation, anticipation. And uh, the, the Hebrew word for that is Q-A-V-H-A. I can't pronounce it. But that, that Hebrew word means to wait actively with anticipation, hopefully watching for God to act. And I think one of the most familiar passages is Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And so as I wait upon God, the first aspect of that is anticipation. And my waiting does not change God's plan. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for you if you're a Christian. And waiting on him doesn't in any way deter. God is not compromised by time. You and I are, but not God. And so uh, we need to wait on God. Now, one of the, the weirdest examples of this is Abraham and Sarah. Remember that story? God came to them. I think Sarah was around 65 years of age when God came to Abraham and uh, told him that, that he was going to have a son. Remember, Sarah laughed in the tent there because, I mean, she's 65. 65. How can I get pregnant at 65, you see? And so uh, God made that promise to Abraham. Twelve years went by. I think around 12 years went by. And Sarah got tired of waiting upon God. So she put together, like we would do, she put together a plan. And that plan was her handmaid, I guess it was called a handmaid, was Hagar. And so she brought Hagar to Abraham and said, because I can't, here, use her, and this will be our son that God has promised us. Well, you know what happened. Uh, Hagar had a baby. His name was Ishmael. And... Uh, do you know that out of Ishmael, and you follow the, the lineage and so forth, came Muhammad and the Muslim faith? And so Abraham, because of not waiting on God, created a, an enemy against Israel. And then it was 13 years later, all of a sudden, 90 years of age. How many of you know a 90-year-old woman who is pregnant, you know? A 90-year-old woman, she got pregnant, and she gave birth to Isaac, to Isaac. I wonder what she was thinking about the day after she got pregnant. I wonder if she said, oh, if only I would have waited on God, you know? But she didn't, and so we have Isaac coming in. And so the, the, the problems and difficulties that Abraham and, and Israel faced was because of Sarah not waiting for God. And my friend, if I don't wait for God, and if I jump ahead and try to do it in my own way, I'm going, to, there's, I'm going to have some consequences to that, and I need to really trust God for that. So I need to anticipate God. When, when I am waiting on God, I am anticipating Him, Him, Him to do something. Not me, but Him. And that's very important. And now when we come to the anticipation, the second aspect is association. Look what it says here in that verse 14. Be of good courage. And the Hebrew at courage means to be strong, bold, and alert. How, what, what, what are some of the things that help me to, to become courageous in my waiting upon God? Well, our spiritual associations is extremely important. Hebrews 10.25, what does it say? 
not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And so we need to assemble ourselves together because as we come together and as we have this, this spiritual association, we begin to have the power and ability to wait on God and let God do it in his timing. We must boldly stand our spiritual ground no matter who we offend, you know. Oh, we, we are people, we don't want to offend anybody. Well, uh, Jesus wasn't like that. He offended a lot of people. I want to re remind you of a couple years ago, uh, the false prophets during the election, they prophesied who was going to be elected president. I think 10 or 12 of them, I forget how many it was, 10 or 12 uh, said that Jesus, one morning Jesus came down and spoke to them and told them without question who was going to be the next president of the United States, you see. 10 or 12 of them. And uh, guess what happened? Not one of them came true. Now I'm from Pennsylvania and we have what we call Punxsutawney Phil, Groundhog Day. And I've studied him. He's been around for 125, maybe 150 years. Do you know that Punxsutawney Phil has made prophecies about the summer, spring, whatever, and he has been right 40% of the time? And these prophets have been wrong, or have, have, have been right 0%. They never were right. Now, here's the thing that I want to think about. Jesus, when he came to them, either he got things wrong and so forth, and if that is true, what else did Jesus get wrong? How can I trust somebody who gets things wrong? Did Jesus really come and sit with them and tell them? If you go through the scriptures, there is no scripture that indicates that Jesus came back to earth after he ascended into heaven. None whatsoever. So what did they see there? Was it the real Jesus? No. It was the false Jesus. Now, if you are going to, let's, let's put it on me. If I'm going to counterfeit a $20 bill, I'm not going to put my picture on it. You know what I mean? I'm going to make it as close to the original as possible. And the enemy comes in, and he has made Jesus, as fake Jesus, he has made him just as like Jesus as possible. And the fact that some people who call themselves prophets can be caught up in that is beyond me. In the Old Testament, if a prophet prophesied and it didn't come true, he was stoned. These, these guys, you know, and, and, and here's what I'm thinking. Okay, if this false Jesus influenced what they were thinking, what else have they influenced these people to think? And so when I come to my association, there's things that are people that I need to separate myself from. And those who really don't believe the scripture, I need to separate myself from them. I cannot go along. We, we have this, uh, uh, oh, I don't know what you would call it, but uh, people often say, oh, you're legalistic. And I say, thank you for noticing, <laughs> you know. Uh, what, what is legal? Okay, okay, you come up to me and you say, hi, my name is so-and-so, what's your name? And I say, anything you want it to be, <laughs> you know? You, you, you make up your own mind about that. And then they say, well, can, I give, can you give me your phone number so that I can call you? Uh, any number will do, that doesn't matter. We're not legalistic about all of this kind of stuff, you see? 
Would you want your doctor be legalistic or be a fluffy? Oh, you're, you just, just think good thoughts. Just, just uh, you know, you're a good person. Oh, la, 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 la. Or do you want a grouchy old doctor who, who tells you there's something wrong about you and you need to do it and you need to take care of it? Okay, I'm legalistic. I, 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 don't, I don't bend on that there because I believe everything the Bible says, even the stuff that I don't quite understand. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. And so I'm going to let my life be ruled and molded by the Word of God. And I'm not going to back off from that. Okay, call me legalistic. Call me that whatever you want to. But uh, I, I don't back off from that. I'm going to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, then i got to move on. We need to anticipate God working. And then that anticipation needs to be... Uh, uh, brought together by our association. And then the third thing is our appreciation. Look what he says. And he shall strengthen thy heart. You know, I'm almost afraid to use the word worship today. I don't know about you. But it has been bent out of shape for, from so many people. Uh, you, you got a worship pastor, a worship leader, a worship band, a worship this, a worship that. Okay. Okay, you're talking to some legalist here. Show me in the Bible where that exists. And it's not in the Bible. So I'm going to talk about appreciation. Uh, that, that we need to learn how to appreciate God. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel was infiltrated by Baal worship. You remember that story, how Baal came in there and, and all the stuff that he did. And I think Baal worship is infiltrating today's church. If you know anything about Baal, you know there are several aspects. I, I won't go into all of them, but there's several. Number one, it is killing children. Did you know that? With sacrificing children. And number two, uh, the, the, the most popular ritual was homosexuality. Did you know that? That's where it came from. Baal came out of Canaan, and, and there, there we have that. Goodness sakes alive. Baal is working in our country today. And we need some Elijahs and Elijahs to stand up against the work of Baal because he's not going to go away. He's not going to go away. And we need to, we need to stand against him. Okay, I'm not going to be uh, okay in the world. Jesus wasn't okay in the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to, to send peace to the world. I came to send a sword. And Jesus Christ was hated by everybody. Oh my goodness, we don't want to be hated by anybody. We want to love everybody and we, we want everybody to love us and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, baloney, <laughs> you know, baloney. Is, is, is it worth it? Is it worth being loved by everybody? Is it worth giving up your significant relationship, your appreciation of God by turning things over to the enemy? Now, we had this uh, Roe versus Wade back, backslided, whatever, uh, on up, up heel, whatever it was. Uh, but if you, if you think it's over, it just ain't over. If you think it's over, listen, I have a Brooklyn Bridge that I want to sell you at a very discounted price, you know. My friend, it's, going, it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's going to get worse until Jesus come comes back and raptures the church out of here. And these guys who are saying, Jesus came to talk to me, they're, 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 they're of the devil. They're of Baal. 
And, and we need to understand when Jesus comes, he isn't coming for a conversation. He is coming to rapture us out of this world. And then once we're raptured, then Baal will have his say all, all around the world. And so I need to appreciate God. I need to really come to that point of appreciation. And, and there are two things. Number one, I need to appreciate what God has done. Okay? I need to appreciate that. And number two, the most important thing is, I need to appreciate who God is. I, I remember years ago, does anybody remember the rotor phones? You know, uh, okay, I, I was in my church office up in uh, Maryland, and some guy came in to try to impress me with how spiritual he was. And I said, uh, do you know the president of the United States? Oh, yeah, he said, that's Ronald Reagan. So you know when this was, Ronald Reagan. And so I took my phone, and I slid it across the desk to him. Would you give him a call so I can talk with him? Well, he laughed and pushed it back. And I, I, thought, I thought you knew the president. You do, Ronald Reagan. I pushed it back. We did this several times. Finally, I think he got the idea. He knew who the president was, but he didn't know the president. And there's a lot of people who know who God is, but they don't know God personally. They don't have a relationship with him that, that, that just transforms them. And my friend, that's what you and I need. As we, as we come to this place of appreciating God, I need to appreciate God for who he is because once I begin to appreciate him for who he is, then I begin to understand who I am in Christ. Where are you at? Where are you at? God's blessings are always on his time schedule, not yours or mine, on his time schedule. And there's no negotiations, none whatsoever. And we need to wait and be blessed and allow God to do what God wants to do when God wants to do it. And we are going to see our life changed for all of glory. Let's stand for closing prayer.